0: comments and views expressed on The Moore Show are those of the people that make them and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kevin Moore, The Moore Show, or this radio station and its affiliates or sponsors.
1: Hello, I'm Kevin Moore and welcome to another edition of The Moore Show, which is sponsored by the UFO Matrix magazine. On today's show, I'm about to be joined by the UK's leading psychic medium, Colin Fry. Now, Colin was born in 1962 and received his first message at the age of 10 and became a professional medium at 17. He has toured internationally and has his own television show, The Sixth Sense, on Living TV. He is the author of numerous books and one of the leading lights in the psychic mediumship world. Colin uses his spiritual knowledge to offer life-changing advice and support to people, providing sensible down-to-earth explanations about the strange world of the paranormal and supernatural. Colin is also a certified medium with the United Spiritualist Church, and in 2009 was made a patron of the World Federation of Healing. Colin Fry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Colin... Um... We've, we're going to go over your books and and, and your life work, um, but first of all, I just want to start at the beginning. When did you become a, a medium? Were you born a medium?
0: Oh, I, yeah, I think if you've got the ability, it is something that you're born with. I mean, um, throughout childhood, you know, thankfully I had you know parents that didn't make a big deal of it, um, and I think probably with children, it's probably best not to make a big deal of it, Treat it very, very normally. Um, I think probably... I was in my early teens when I realised that I was meant to do something with it. And I went into my first development circle when I was 15, and I started uh, working on platforming in spiritualist churches when I was 17. So consequently this year, it's what, 32 years I've been a working medium.
1: 32 years, right, okay. So what was your first sort of experience then?
0: Um... I don't remember the first experience, but um, the the one that always stands out in my family's mind is one Sunday afternoon informing my grandfather that his mother, my great-grandmother had died and gone to heaven. I'd have been about three years old then. And um, the following day, my grandfather got a telegram which confirmed that at the exact time that I'd made this announcement, his mother had indeed passed away. Um, So that was the first instance that the family really sort of remember. I think for me when it all started to make sense for me was when um, my, my grandfather passed away um, and I was having to stay with my other grandparents and uh, he came and visited me and uh, sat on the bed and I thought he'd come home from hospital and so I went rushing downstairs to my other grandparents to say that granddad had come home and uh, of course by then they'd already had the phone call to say that he'd, he'd passed away. So it was then that it began to make sense to me that these experiences I was, I, I was having were what I, everybody else was calling the dead. Mm.
1: So was there any sort of history of uh, mediumship in your family at all?
0: Well, apparently so. And this didn't come to light until many years later. Um, I think I would have been in my early 20s when my mother and I visited a very elderly great aunt of of my um, my, uh, my my mother's who explained that her own grandmother had been a medium Um, so there just seems to be a little bit of a history of it in my mother's side of the family
1: right okay and i understand that your mother was quite supportive of your of your gift as at an early age
0: she took the sensible approach you know it was like that i would would come out with these statements and these observations of things that i was experiencing and uh, she just treated it sort of like very normal and matter of fact and then when I got to about 13 years of age and she realized it was something that wasn't going to go away, um, she began to start helping me to understand it and to develop it. And then when I got to 15 and she realized you know, she could, she'd taken me as far as she could take me, um, she put me into the hands of a, uh, an elderly medium um, in a, a town near where we live um, who then you know, took me to the next stage.
1: Okay, and was that um, was that medium? Was that Leslie Flint?
0: No, 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 no. Leslie was someone I met many, many years later.
1: Um, Right. Okay. So let's let's just jump forward there. Let's jump forward to the time that you meet Leslie Flint, and what influence did he have on your on crafting your skills?
0: Well, I mean, when I when I first met. Leslie, I'd heard that, you know, Leslie was a well-known medium within the spiritualist movement, you know, not just in Britain, but, you know, around the world, and, you know, so, so he was sort of like a bit like a hero figure, you know, and, you know, I kept hearing from people saying that they'd been to Leslie Flynn's seances, and, you know, so I was quite envious, and then an offer came up for me to attend one of his seances, so I was very excited, and I went along, and sat in this room, and um, in this darkened room, and, and on the first occasion nothing happened uh, i was very disappointed um and then about six months later um i we got all got that group all got invited back again and um, because leslie would always say you know one in ten of his 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 group uh, seances were, were blanks you know nothing happened yeah um and so we went along again and um we were sitting there in the in the dark and all of a sudden my grandfather started speaking to me um and uh, his voice everybody heard it and uh, my grandfather spoke to me about things that um only i knew about um, things that were personal between me and him um and i think it's probably one of the most profound spirit communication experiences i've had in my life And then a number of years later, um, how my relationship with Leslie Flint developed at the end of his life was I was doing some trance uh, demonstration evenings in Brighton. And when I came out of the trance, this group of about 80 people um, that um, had been arranged to attend this group meeting... Um, the lady that used to organize the meeting, she said, oh, it was very interesting tonight. She said, the old Magnus, who's my guide, she said, stood aside and let somebody else speak to someone in the, in the, in the group. And I said, oh, what did she say? Well, I can't really remember. She said it was something about photography and they were having a conversation. So I really didn't pay a great deal of attention to it. It was you know, quite a personal conversation yeah. between the communicator and the recipient. Thought no more about it. And about two weeks later, I got a phone call from the actress uh, Carol Hawkins. Um, who used to be in the Fen Street gang, and she'd appeared in Carry On films, and she's, we'd become sort of on friendly terms, and um, she said, um, Leslie Flint would like to meet you, and I went, oh, that's nice, and I said to her, and she said, uh, no, no, she said, she wants he, she wants, he wants you to sit for him. I thought, you know, this was like, you know, like your hero being asked. You know. So um, we went along to his house. He was quite elderly and quite ill at the time, Um, and uh, the previous year his companion had passed away which had left him very devastated and we met there with a group of his personal friends and um, Leslie was brought into the room and he looked very frail and very tired and very ill and I just kept thinking oh this is a huge mistake we shouldn't be doing this he's too ill and we went into the seance room and and there was a reversal Um, his friend companion Bram came through and spoke to him um again about very personal things through my mediumship you know and then leslie sort of afterwards sort of was very excited and you know complete transformation of this sort of rather frail old man he grabbed me by the arm and he dashed me down the stairs into his study and he said, i knew bram wanted to communicate to me through you and I said, oh, well, why is that? He said, well, he has done already. And I said, no, I don't think so, Leslie. I think I don't know why he's think that. He said, no, he has. And he played this tape recording of this trance sitting from months beforehand. And he said, that voice, that's Bram, speaking to friends of ours. And in the communication, they'd said to him, do you have a message for our mutual friend? And Bram's voice through me had said, yes, tell Daddy, which was his nickname for Leslie, tell, uh, tell Daddy uh, there'll be silver bells for Christmas. Which was totally meaningless to all of us. Yeah. You know, but then apparently, what it was, they'd had a set of antique silver bells. And the year that Bram had passed over, he said, Leslie had said, I can't be bothered to put them up this year, it's too heartbreaking. And only a few days beforehand, this transiting, he had uh, said, I'm going to put the bells up this year. Incredible. Um, so that was how my, my friendship at the end of Leslie's life started. And then I sat a couple of more times for him. And he wrote a very, very long letter to the now defunct psychic news to say that although many mediums had come forward and said that they'd had messages for Bram for him, none of them made sense or he believed. And he said, but through the independent direct voice mediumship of Colin Fry, I have had categoric and undeniable evidence of the survival of Bram Rogers' spirit.
1: It's incredible, isn't it? And um, so so this sort of validated things for yourself at that time.
0: Well, I would have to say I've never sought validation. You know, I mean, people say to me, why do you believe in the afterlife? I said, because I've had so much personal evidence. I don't need validation. Um, Now, I don't want that to sound sort of headed or arrogant, you know, but quite often when I'm up against the sceptics, you know, they say to me, well, how come you've had all these experiences and I haven't? And I said, because I went out and looked for them.
1: That's right, and, and most times you'll find they've had an experience, but they, they've ignored it.
0: Or it is... One of the things that I find with a lot of the sceptics that I encounter, you know, profes, especially what I call the professional sceptics, is they're such angry people.
1: Yes. Um, you know,
0: and, it's, and I've often said to them, why is it that what I do makes you so angry? And they come up with all the usual things. Oh, it's fake. It's fraud. Blah blah. I blah. say, but but you know, and then I put the hypothesis. What if it isn't? Let's just go on the assumption, just for one moment, with your sceptical, logical little mind, uh, that it isn't. And I actually had one very outspoken sceptic said, that frightens me too much to even contemplate.
1: That's just what I was going to say, Colin. They come from a a, a side of fear. It's fear that, that drives them to be like that. Because yes. you, you yes. are right. There's some, you know, you get some very cruel behaviour sometimes from people, you know, that normally to norm, you know, to general folks aren't that nasty. But when it comes to subjects like this, they are petrified.
0: Well, you know, in, in, in matters of faith and belief, you know, you you, you cannot. Sit on the fence, you know. It's you're either you're either one side or the other. And you know what I find is those that you know keep talking about how what we do is not scientifically logical, it's not scientifically proven, you know. And uh, just recently I did an interview and I said, you know, you know, the Society for Psychical Research has got libraries after libraries after libraries of research work by people like you know Sir Oliver Lodge, William Barrett, you know. So I've now actually got to the point where I say, say what you like about me, throw whatever insults you like at me, you know, say what you will. I have to get on with what, you know, what my role is.
1: Sort of fast-forwarding there a bit, Colin. Um, Now, one of your life-changing experiences was obviously the passing of your your stepbrother. What sort of effect did this have on you?
0: Well, I, I spent about eight years looking after Michael. Um, Michael um, was HIV positive um, and ultimately uh away of AIDS-related illnesses um, and it was life-changing because I found it such a huge privilege to look after somebody. He was one of the recipients of one of the early stages of combination therapy which I feel probably did more damage to him than good but his attitude was you know If they do experimentation on me and it helps someone else in the future, I'm prepared to take that risk. And he had such a... I don't think I've ever met anyone who had such an an outlook on life. Um, I think it was him that probably had the most profound effect on me. I am having like a positive attitude to life and seeing life as something that is always an adventure and not a burden. Um... And you know, but he used to talk to me a lot about my, you know, my my gift and my ability. And you know, at the time I was um, I was in retail management. I used to manage department stores and then carpet warehouses. And I really enjoyed my career, you know. And I used to work with my mediumship in the evenings and weekends and holidays. And he used to say to me, you know, one day you're going to have to make a decision. You know, you're going to have to make a decision about whether you follow this sort of like normal career path. Or you make your gift your career path. And I, I always used to say to him, Michael, "It's not a career, you know. It's a vocation." And um, and it was on the day that he actually passed away. He passed away in my arms at King's College Hospital in London, about half past two in the morning. And at half past eight, I was on the I was I was on the phone to my employers and saying, "I'm sorry, I'm not coming back." Um, and I went out on a limb, you know and, um, decided that I would dedicate the rest of my life to be, um, uh, working as a medium and a healer.
1: Would you, would you say you followed your passion there?
0: Um, life's never boring. Um, I don't think, I would find it challenging now to go back into, you know, a nine to five, um, situation. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, today to be able to sit here at my kitchen table and talk to you on the phone is a bit of a rarity for me. You know, it's, I'm either just picking up one, one set of bags to leave or arriving home and putting another set of bags down. You know, it's, uh, um, I, I tend to spend about, about, 100 and, about 160 nights a year away from home. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm on the go all the time.
1: Well, we really appreciate you giving us your time today, Colin. Don't worry about that. Um, Would you class your stepbrother's passing, would you class him
0: as maybe a hidden healer?
1: Do
0: you know, I I think if people sit down and they think about it, I think everybody, whether it is a friend, a family member, someone that you work with, everybody meets someone in their life who has some profound effect on moulding, the way they approach life. Now, I've been very fortunate in mine. I've met a number of people like that, Michael being one of them. Um, you know, and, you know, it's, I always say that that, that that sometimes the challenge for people in this life, on, you know, in the, in the earthly body, is it's a challenge to see the bigger picture, you know, of, of the, the, the path and the plan of your life. But once you've opened up to that, you begin to realize that all the people that you meet in your life that have some profound effect on your life, they're pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. They're they're one more piece in place that helps you to see the bigger picture of purpose. And I'm glad that when I um, left school, an experience which I absolutely loathed and detested, I hated school, Um, I cultivated the friendships of people that were a lot older than me. Um, And I began to see how all these people that taught me and educated me in my love of art, literature, um, philosophy, um, spirituality, friendship, they were all pieces that that moulded my outlook on life and gave me a slightly better view of the bigger picture. The one thing that we all have that we say that we try to protect the most and yet we abuse the most is our free will. That is the one thing that, you know, if if everybody doesn't like, nobody really likes being told what to do, to be being manipulated, and we, we protest that our free will is ours, and yet we neglect it or abuse it. Well, And I think, you know, I, I personally think that, you know, there's, you, there's lots of talk about what spirituality is. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the greatest defender of people's right, you know, to spirituality and spiritual belief or spiritualism even. But I'm also its biggest critic because one of the things that I find challenging with spirituality at the moment is so much of it is away with the fairies. It's airy fairy it's too ephemeral it it can't be applied to the practicality of living an earthly life and i couldn't go down that path i couldn't go down that sort of fairy dust and angels wings path you know for me spirituality and how you apply spirituality in life has to be a much more grounded if you like, spiritual logic approach to life. And if, if if you don't use your free will and if you don't see the signs in life and if you don't appreciate why certain people come into your life and why certain people go out of your life and what purpose you were supposed to serve to one another, it's just all pie in the sky. It's, it's wandering around in a dream, you know, a dream existence, not really facing up to you your personal responsibility in life
1: well that's the problem with human beings though colin you know uh, we're we're lazy i never
0: talk about problems i talk about challenges (laughs) there are no such things as problems problems are the doors that we slam in our own faces life is about challenges and, and and the whole the whole joy of life is to confront and face and deal with the challenges
1: Okay, challenges then. That's, that's a better way of, set, of, of putting it. But it's the challenge of, the, of, of us, uh, our human nature, not to be lazy. I mean, I think so many people want to be told what to do. You know, they want to be told how to think. And to think for themselves, that's hard work.
0: Ah, well, you see, now that is why orthodoxy, whether it is scientific or religious orthodoxy, has such a huge problem with people like me. Because I put out the message think for yourself. I remember a number of years ago, I did a forum in my local area where a number of people from different religions and faiths were asked to come along for a forum night one night where the public could be there and ask us questions and everything. There were actually three churches that refused to attend because I, as a spiritualist, had been asked to be on the panel. But afterwards, after we'd had this forum, two Roman Catholic priests came up to me. Now, they could have been two Anglican priests, but they just happened to be two Roman Catholic priests came up to me. One of them, a younger one, was very interested but very confused by my approach, my beliefs, my experiences. And we'd agreed that we would exchange books. He lent me two books uh, written by Catholic philosophers, and I lent him um, Sir Arthur Finley's On the Edge of the Etheric, and a book of spirit teachings by Silver Birch. And we'd agreed that in a couple of weeks' time, you know, we would meet up and exchange our books back with one another and and have a coffee together. But the older priest was furious. Um, He was red in the face, it was almost bursting a blood vessel with anger. And he said, uh, you know, how he objected to me, objected to what I did, you know. And I said, why do you have such a problem, Father? And he said, you tell people to think for themselves to work out god for themselves and i said yes he said that's our job we are supposed to tell people and i said so you are saying that you want to take away people's freedom of will and he said yes the church dictates what people believe and i said you don't realize how telling what you've just said is
1: that's not freedom is it
0: no you know the problem the problem with the arrogance of science that, that believes that they have the right to, just because a thing can, can be meddled with, it doesn't mean it should be meddled with, uh, um, just because they can defy natural law, it doesn't mean they should. Uh, no. Just because they believe that they can extend life beyond its normal uh, capacity, that doesn't mean they should do it. Would you say, though, that uh,
1: being religious and being spiritual, even though we've just described them not as really being poles apart, but in in the sense of control, yes, they are, but would you say they they still lead to the same place as compassion, kindness and and, and tolerance?
0: Of course. Look, you know, the other day I was on the phone to a friend of mine, uh, again, someone who's been a huge influence on my life, and something came up, and I made the comment, and I said, look, you know, I might not believe in Christianity, I might not believe in Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, You know, but I know a lot of people that I would call friends that do. And, you know, and I've also encountered an awful lot of people in life who have come to the end of their earthly days here and their faith has given them the courage for the final step. Who am I to take that away from them? you know who are the, who, you know the, the likes of you know the humanitarians that, that, that are spouting off saying you know there is no God you know this is all that there is and anyone that believes otherwise is stupid or ill educated um, or you know living in the dark ages and you know my argument to them is you know so you will take away people's faith from them that gives them the strength and the courage and the conviction to get through life who are you to do that
1: uh, indeed, indeed. So well, would you say then that we're, we're all God having a, a, a sort of a, an experience of, for God on its behalf uh, and it, we, we all come from the same source as such, don't we?
0: One of my guides says something that has always stuck in my mind and a, it says in the scripture, God created man in his own image. Now, of course, in modern thinking, I don't think anybody thinks of God as being sort of a long white bearded you know, man who sits on the cloud in judgment over all of us. But there's a certain amount of truth in that statement in the Bible. God created man in his own image, not in his physical image, in his spiritual image. God, however you perceive God, created by thought. And we were created to think and to create by thought as well. Therefore, within each of us is the extension of God. The philosopher that once said, you know, I uh, I think, therefore I am. You know, we as human beings, we have to reverse that. I am, therefore I better think.
1: Well, I think that we act in God, God's image every day. I mean, if, if you think about it, we, we, we can manifest things.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, our, our whole purpose of, of, of existing is to be creative, not just procreative, but to be creative, <laughs> to bring into existence an extension of our earthly spirits, all art, all music, all literature philosophy is an extension of our earthly experience. That's spirituality. That's what spirituality is.
1: Yes. One of the subjects I want to touch on as well is your spirit guide, Magnus. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we've briefly, you know, mentioned his name. Now, does do you always use a spirit guide to, to communicate with the other side?
0: Well, you know, again, rather like I was saying earlier about, you know, sometimes I think with mediums is when they Keep pontificating about their spirit guides is you know you get the impression they won't get out of bed in the morning until they've you know consulted the guides about it um you know my attitude with working with guides is is that they are a companion with you through life um i think even the word guide is misleading it makes it sound as though they're meant to take us by the hand and lead us off somewhere again you know giving over free will to some something or somebody else and working with guides is something to enhance your free will, you know, something that, you know, that you can take lessons, teachings, advice from, and then make that an extension of your free will, you know, and and God God willing, your free will is something that you're using to benefit other life, to benefit other people, to benefit, you know, the environment that we live in. Guides are not there to make decisions for us. They are to act as a conduit between the physical existence and the spirit existence.
1: Yeah, because a- as you just said there, otherwise it sort of takes your again, you're taking your power away from you, aren't you? Exactly. The, this you know, this free mean, will. Know, even,
0: even when I've worked in trance and Magnus speaks through me, um, you know, he will, uh, he can be very witty, and I'm, I've got a recording somewhere of something he once said that just reduced me to hysterics. He said. A lady, he was talking about a particular subject, and this lady said to said to Magnus, she said, you know, I admire and respect you, and I, and, and, and and many of the things that you have told us over the years, she said, I've absolutely understood and agree with you. She said, but on this particular subject, I disagree with you. And he said, Madam, you have every right to disagree with me. He said, you have every right to apply your own free will. He said, but one of us is in a position to know what is right, and I fortunately am the one in the position to know what is right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was... Directly funny comment but he didn't take away her freedom of will he didn't say to her you must believe what i'm telling you he said i know what i'm saying is correct but you must work it out by your own freedom of will
1: now what does magnus have to say about the upcoming years ahead of us are they, are they going to be easy
0: His call it probably since about 1989 he calls the time that we're in now the great time of change and in fact you know Everything that is happening now, he was talking about back in the early nineties. You know, I have tape recordings of him saying that the banks would fall, governments would be in disarray, that the church would be subject to corruption and scandal. Um, you know, that, that all of the great, all of the great uh, religions of the world would be in conflict with one another, and you know, and he, said he was basically telling people not to be fearful, and he said because the way he described it he said it is like a great tower of babel that has to fall and he said and if we have any sense he said when it does fall we'll dig out the foundations and start again
1: so if it's got to crumble let it crumble basically
0: yeah yeah and you know he said you know you know whether he was being um literal or or not he, he predicted back in the um the early 90s that the great fire would would sweep the world and those that could save themselves must save themselves, and those that they could take with them and save they sh- they should save, and said, but there are some that would choose through fear and through ignorance to be consumed in the fire and he said and and they cannot be saved now I know that sounds very dark and um you know apocalyptic, but you know it's maybe the world does need to be cleansed
1: there's got to be change brought about and uh you know um we are definitely hungry for change right now because things are not right
0: no we live in a system where more and more control is being imposed upon the people think this think that you know eat this eat that don't eat this you know you know take these drugs take those drugs you know um we we we, we constantly hear in the media about uh, Society is concerned about people that are uh, addicted to narcotics. But why don't we apply those same standards to the people that are being addicted to prescribed drugs, the poison and the damage that that is doing to them?
1: Well, it's the, it's the old thing, isn't it? You know, keep the people dumbed down, don't let them think for themselves, we're in control, stand down, everything's okay.
0: Exactly exactly and you know and and then when you get mavericks come along you know people you know like myself and god god willing yourself as well when you say think outside the box think for yourself you know all the time you're in the box all you're seeing is four walls that's holding you in think outside of that try to see the bigger picture people that own the box consider us to be a danger
1: but like i've said before you know there's so many people out there who don't want to take responsibility for themselves who don't want to think outside the box who want to be controlled
0: there are some people that the fire, that you know the fires of change will take because they if they were asked to live free if they were asked to think for themselves if they were asked to be part of a balanced harmonious free thinking world They would be lost. They could not live in a system where they were not being controlled. And that's the great sadness of what, you know, this wonderful thing that we call civilization has done. It has taken away people's ability to think for themselves.
1: Well, maybe hundreds of years ago we, we had things worked out a little bit better.
0: I don't know. Neither you or I lived hundreds, hundreds of years ago. We live now. We live in the here and now. And, you know, and, and, it's in, and, and, and I think that, you know, that all I can do is just go out and, and, and say, you know, I can't be religious about afterlife. What I can say is, because there is a life to come, because this isn't just it, we do go on to something else. You know, that means that by being here, being in this stage of existence, which is supposed to be a learning and growing process for us, it comes with responsibilities. It comes with the responsibility that we have to get it as right as we can in the here and now to have any hope that we can progress onto something that will make us more than we are now.
1: Well, hopefully, you know, through the power of our thoughts and, and, and through the power of, uh, of, of of positive thinking, you know, we can create a new world that's, um, you know, is going in a, in a positive... F- we
0: can create anything thought. Yeah. With, with, with the will to do so, we can do anything. You know, we go back to what we were saying earlier on. You know, if we are an extension of God, we can do anything.
1: Yeah, people power. Yes. Yeah, well, one um, area of uh, of your books that I wanted to touch on as well, Colin, is um, obviously the passing of a loved one. Now um, there'll be you know listeners tuning into this and uh, they've um, you know obviously lost someone very close to them. Um, are their loved ones always around when they've passed?
0: Well, I ask people to be logical about that. You know, yeah, I'm using the word logic, which I don't very often use, but be logical about it. You know, in in Earth, you know, my mother bless her i love very much still this side of life if my mother was with me constantly i'd send her to the spirit world um, i love her a bits but she would drive me around the bend if she was with me 24 hours a day 365 days a year the reality of existence is of course is that even with our closest loved ones our closest friends the people we love the most dearly we are not with them constantly we're not one another's shadow um, the fact of the matter is is that we go off and run our daily affairs. We go to work, you know, if, even with a partner. you know. If, if you're lucky, you meet up in the evenings when you get home and spend a few hours together, your weekends, your holidays, you know, um, and you sleep together. Um, but the reality is, is that you're not with one another constantly. So when people pass over into a spirit existence, the... Missing the physical company, of course, is understandable, and that process of grief we all have to go through. But then to think that you know that a loved one that has moved on to live in a, a, new, a new state of existence in which eventually you will join them is then going to be with you constantly 24 hours a day every second of the day is unrealistic because they have roles and functions to perform and to undertake in this spirit existence that I have now. And rather like, you know, a family member that comes to visit on high days, holidays, weekends, and evenings, they will come and visit. But you can't realistically expect them to be there 24 hours a day, because they wouldn't have done that even when they were on this side of life. Um, So I, I try to encourage people to think about how when a loved one has passed over, and when you've had that normal and natural period of grief, you then have to start a process, or should start a process if you can, of trying to look for the signs of how they're still connecting with your life. Recognize the power of your own perception and your own mind. You know? So, you know, A lady said to me the other day, she said, Connie said The other day, she said, I was thinking about my husband a great deal, and she said, it almost felt as if he was in the room with me. She said, do you think that's possible? I said, well, my darling, that's what your mind was perceiving at the time. That's what your emotions and your feelings were sensing at the time. So why don't you trust that feeling and that emotion? I'm flattered that you would ask me for confirmation, but feel it for yourself, because you did, but logic makes you dismiss it.
1: Yeah, and, ju- and just because you can't hear their voice speaking out loud doesn't mean your Can intuition. Can I ask you a question? Sure.
0: Do you have a partner?
1: I'm working on it. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Have you had partners in the past? Of course. And how often do you sit in a room of an evening, uh, maybe one watching the television, another reading a book? How many minutes, how many hours go by when you don't actually even speak to one another? Oh, that's right, quite With a just lot. It's intense. That you're in the same space with one another yeah communication we have a wonderful gift of verbal communication but communication is is is, is more than just words communication is often just to feel comfortable in the presence of someone um, yes smile when you think about someone that you care about and love yes Looking for the signs of connection between you and a loved one that's passed over is subtle. But it's often very subtle in earthly existence as well. And and I, I would encourage people to remind themselves of the subtleties of communication between you and a loved one, even when they're here. And if you can remember the subtleties of those connections, you'll feel them much more easily from a friend or a loved one that has passed over. I think in one of my books, I actually say, when my partner and I first moved to a new house, we have um, uh, a tree in the garden, which we kept on calling the the Weeping Willow. And um, we've been here about, oh, I suppose about two years. One summer we were out in the garden, and my partner said, you know, the Weeping Willow looks really, really nice this summer, doesn't it? And I suddenly announced, I said, it's not a Weeping Willow, it's a Weeping Silver Birch. And he looked at me and said, "How do you know that?" And I said, "My granddad's just told me." Ah. And it was but it was so subtle how it came into my mind. You know? And it's when it's when you 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 wait for those or you wait or you seek those subtle moments of how they're there, you know? Um, and how you think about them. You know, I I will often go out, you know, and I was somewhere the other day and there was something, we were, we were in a, an art gallery or a museum or something and there was, there was something there. It was, it was a, a perpetual motion machine which wasn't really of a great deal of interest to me. But I knew that it was something that would have fascinated Michael. So I stood there and I observed it for a moment and just felt him close to me.
1: Mm. And that's all it takes sometimes, isn't it? It is not it That is all it takes just that's to be in tune with your intuition as well yeah. and you
0: know so often you know in my life my life uh, my life shows people come up to me um, when i do the signing at the end of the evening and they'll tell me stories about how they thought or how they felt you know that their husband their loved one or they'd seen a sign or something um, they'd seen a sign or something they said you know was that a sign from them i said please it's lovely that you ask me but ask yourself that question if that's what it's felt like trust it, trust that, trust that experience, that feeling, that it was indeed that loved one near to you, close to you.
1: What would you say, would you agree, though, that feelings are the only true fact?
0: The only way I can answer that is that um, my former partner used to get very angry with me, he was a very, very logical person, and he used to say to me, he said, you know, you never do anything by logic. Everything you do on instinct and feeling and emotion. And I went, yes. And I said, and he said, I don't understand that. He said, there's, n- there's nothing logical about the way that you think or you respond or you react or you deal with situations. And I said, but it works. Yeah. Because without feeling, without emotion when all that you judge existence by is hard, cold logic, um, then, you know, you're denying yourself, you know. You know, when people actually, you know, I remember somebody said to me a little while about, I'm an idealist, you know, I was talking about how, you know, there is no reason for us to have world poverty. The world is actually capable of feeding the entire population of the world three times over. There is enough. You know, I mean, you've only got to see what, here in europe and in america what we throw in our rubbish bins every day you know, um, you know we were more than capable of feeding the entire world's population he said you're an idealist and i said yes but if we don't have idealists and everything is left to logic where logic actually dictates that we should just feed the people that we can and to hell with the rest we, we we then we, we we are then actually betraying our humanity, mm. yeah. and so you know I would rather work on, you know, instinct. You know, I'd rather work on instinct and feeling and emotion and compassion, um, rather than just rely upon what other people say is logical.
1: Uh. Colin, one of the the questions that I'm leading on here to with with the uh, the passing of a loved one is. Uh, the sort of problems that we end up in, with which is depression, uh, when, you know, people sort of, you know, stop thinking about other people and, and just think inwards. Um, if someone's heavily suffering from depression that's listening to this due to losing a very close family member, yes, wh- what is the way out for them?
0: Well, uh, well the first thing I would say surprising, might people surprisingly, is, is going to see a medium is not always the right answer. Um, you know, you would might, might well think as a medium I would say, oh, yes, you know, come and see someone like me. You know, we'll always provide you with the answer. We'll always provide you with the connection. And, and actually, that's not correct. You know, um, even in the days when I used to be able to do private sittings, I would very, very often and still do say to people, go and get some good bereavement counselling. There are, there are many, many good bereavement counselling organisations, most of them voluntary, where you know you can have someone who will guide you through the bereavement process. You know, um, there have been times when people have come to me for private sittings, and I have refused to do a sitting for them. I said because I'm I'm not the answer. What I do is not the answer. You know, what you need, first of all you need to process your grief, um, and then when you have processed the grief, and you have made the choice that you want to carry on with your life because make no bones about the fact is that the people that pass over they don't feel dead their existence carries on they move on but if you don't keep pace with them you won't feel them closer to you because they will be moving further away from you by living and getting on with life and enjoying the process of existing you stay close to them now, I know I'm talking about this and I'm coming across as very matter of fact about it, but as I try to uh, explain to people, I am in the fortunate position, you know, that I see this process happening. I see this process of continuation of life and the onward movement of life. And that's why I try to encourage people in my work, you know, that, you know, death is an illusion. It's a word that's been created that we learn to we fear death, we fear dying, and we fear for those that will die. Now, but what I try to encourage people to think is, is that death is just a continuation of life. And it is a, it, it is a stage of life that we will all ultimately face. And, you, and, and although you should grieve and respect the passing of someone that you cared about, you have to get to the point where you realize... Their life has continued, and mine must continue until I reach that point as well, when I face that transition.
1: That's right. Would you not say, though, that your loved ones that have moved on would not want you to uh, not get on with your life?
0: absolutely not, absolutely not. There's no way that they would want you to stop living, to stop existing. And sometimes even the promises that we stupidly make to one another when we're on this side of life you know oh if anything happens to me promise me you won't marry again oh you know if anything happens to me you know promise me you'll never sell the house you know or oh, if i die don't sell my car you know these are these are actually stupid promises that we make to one another on this side of life they're not really very much to do with the bonds of love and affection that we've really made with one another you know I remember an aunt of mine, when my, my uncle passed away, um, ultimately a few years later, she married again. Um, and I was initially a bit shocked, I was quite a lot younger than I was initially a bit shocked. I thought, well, you know, they had such a close relationship, my aunt and uncle, they adored one another. And I was a bit shocked when she married again. And then I sat down and thought about it and I thought, my uncle would not have wanted her to live his, her life lonely, without a companion. No. And I would have thought no, he, that that would he would have respected that. Um, he would have been happy for her, and would, and is happy for her, you know. And then you know, when people say to me, "Well, what about the issues of who do you spend eternity with?" Well, the things of you know, f- 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 you know, fidelity is an er- is an earthly concept. Uh, if you have had more than one partner in life and you have loved them equally but differently, you know, why can you not, um, ex- you know, exist with many people on the other side of life? You know, it's again, you know, I'm not a Christian, but something I was sticks in my mind. You know, it says in the Bible, in my Father's house there are many mansions. You know, if you try to relay that into a more modern way of thinking, there must be many li- different dimensional levels of afterlife. You know and if we then become divisible when we pass over you know rather like the skins of an onion why should we not be able to exist in, a, in an intimate situation with many people when we pass over
1: yeah well, that's the thing I hear from a lot of my guests, Colin, about this whole idea of multi-dimensions and, you know, many, many as well. We're talking about um, many different levels. Yeah, it's just an, an incredible place, apparently, and uh, everyone's very busy. <laughs> so there's, there's lots to do, I think.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, you know, I think one of the most stupid things that we put on people's tombstones when they pass over is R.I.P., why would they want to rest in peace?
1: <laughs> I know, I know. You
0: know. Life's too important to sit back and do nothing, here or there. You
1: know? The more people that I, I interview, the more it becomes clear that when we pass, or rebirth, as I call it, or going home, whatever you want to call it, um, you, you keep creating, you yeah. keep manifesting. You
0: know, one, one, of the thing, one of the things that I'm, I'm most looking forward to in my own time of passing is, Never being tired again, and never having to sleep. To be permanently aware. Yeah, that's going to be one of the greatest joys for me. Because you know, although I believe that we have an existence in our sleep state, for me it just feels such a waste of time. I'll be glad. On on many levels, I'll be glad not to have a physical body anymore, so that I can be free to be aware constantly.
1: Ah, uh, but you've got such a lot of work to do down here, yet, Colin.
0: Oh well, so I, so I keep being told, you know. It's, um, <laughs> but I don't think of it as work, you know. It's no. Like, it's it's this is my this is my life, this is my existence, and you know when when the labour of life becomes a burden, as I think it does for so many people, you know, it, it's, it's so often you see. I know in the case of my own my own grandfathers, you know seeing, you know, good men working themselves to an exhaustion and then, you know, reaching a point in their life when they should have been able to have enjoyed the, you know, the fruits of their labours in their years, you know, to end, end their old men. Uh.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, what you've just touched on there is, you know, what I was going to come around to, which is, you know, following your dreams. Um, y- y- the secrets of hope, isn't it? You know, to, to follow that true passion. There's a lot of people that, that, that'll sit there and say, well, you know, my life's not going the right way, but they're not taking responsibility for changing it.
0: When I'm new teaching seminars, when students come up to me and say, Colin, this is too difficult. I can't do this. My response to them is, you're absolutely right. And then they look quite shocked at me, and they're saying, oh, I didn't expect you to say that. And I said, I didn't say that. You did. You have decided that this is beyond you, that you cannot do this. There's n- and there is nothing I can say that will change that. But if once you have decided that there is nothing beyond you, you can accomplish anything. Yes. I have so many, you know, views on what I think is wrong with society. And one of my, my biggest bugbears, going back from it to my own childhood, is the education system. You know, and they always say, you know, that science fiction uh, predicts what will eventually become fact. And I'm always reminded of Aldous Huxley's book, The Brave, Brave New World, where people in society are graded into alphas, betas, deltas and epsilons, you know. And I really feel that, you know, that society is becoming like that. The whole education system has preconceived notions about what children should be. Um, And therefore, from a very young age, it is decided, you know, whether they're going to, you know, to be academic or whether they're going to be laborers in life or, um, you know, and and what role they will um, take to, to keep the cogs of civilization grinding on. Um, there's no room for individuality Um, and you know children that are individuals are often labeled as troublemakers, difficult to control, um, you know educationally challenged um, and in fact actually they're often the brightest, the most intelligent, the most observant, the most creative but they are they are they are square pegs that society wants to ram into round holes.
1: Yeah, I, I can I can sympathise there because I think uh, you know my behaviour at school wasn't uh, wasn't the best, and I look back on those years much like you did. <laughs> I,
0: I found a school <laughs> report from when thirteen the other day, and one teacher put: "Collins' antisocial v- views are going to cause him problems later in life." I'm so glad that I learned to be antisocial. <laughs> uh,
1: that's right, that's right, well, um, exactly, you've, uh, if only she could uh, see you now, which I'm sure she is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it comes down to just, you know, in life, you know, if you just project positivity, you know, ha- ha- n- no negative thinking as, much, as, as, as hard as that is, um, you know, you can, um, you can improve your life and others around you, can't you?
0: You can change, there's an old saying in positive thinking uh, philosophies, you can change nothing in life except yourself. And if you change yourself, and you evolve yourself, and you develop yourself, the world has to respond around you. you know? yeah. And you know, it's it's. You, you might try to inspire, but you should never try to lead. Um, and, you know, it's. Someone once said to me, "I'd like to be one of your followers," and I said, well, "What would make, what makes you think I want to lead you anywhere?" I said, you can walk with me for a while if you want. Yeah. Said, and when you walk with me for long enough, our paths will diverge. You know, I, see, I even have this philosophy about relationships and friendships. I'm a great believer that we, we come into people's lives and people come into our lives. And when we have served the purpose that we are meant to serve to one another, our paths diverge. It, nobody or nobody is meant to be in our lives permanently we may meet again our paths might cross again but you know it's you know you have to embrace people that are, are people that come into your life and you have to embrace them when they are meant to leave your life as well
1: yeah
0: and if you and if you if i think in the whole process if you if you look through life about You know, think of friendships and relationships that you've had, you know, intense, passionate, bring joy into your life, and you hope they bring joy into that person's life. And then through whatever reason, through you both grow into different directions, your your paths diverge. And, you know, and you can look back and think of that as being sort of like happy time in life, a good time in your life. This thing we call death is the same. You know, if we look through our life about people that have come into our lives. Think about when you were at primary school and think of the little friends that you had when you were at primary school. How many of them are still your friends now? Probably not very many, but they were important in your existence at that time. And so even going through our earthly life, we see all the signs of how we're meant to approach this, this, this big divergence when, you know, we do leave behind the people in our lives for a while until such time as they will then come and join us life is showing us the signs of this all the time you know from the moment we are born we are being prepared to return to the spirit world and our whole process of experiences we have in life are little indications of getting ready to go home
1: yeah it's it's a pity though isn't it that um not all your exes you know, you can be friends with, and uh, the ones that meant the most at that particular time, even though their journey with you has now ceased. And you, you know, you look at the bigger picture, and you, it, it all makes sense. It is, it is a pity sometimes that you can't remain friends, but
0: um, not yet. But maybe you will. Maybe yeah. you will at some time in the future, in a future, in another dimension, in another state of existence. Right? Yeah. And you'll, and then because they will have seen the bigger picture, and you will have seen the bigger picture. You'll understand that purpose. You were meant to have served one another at that
1: point. So, Colin, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. God
1: bless. To find out more information on Colin Fry, go to colinfry.com or visit my site, themoreshow.co.uk, and look up Colin Fry under past guests. Well, remember that you can now join us on Facebook where there's regular updates on events happening, uh, upcoming guests, and also uh, just uh, regular news information as well. So just go to the More Show website just to join the Facebook group. Also, we have a TV show which is starting on Sky 201 and Freesat 403 beginning on the 6th of June. So until next time, be safe.